Nobody heard that but you, Holy Dan. This phone went off when right you on were time. Announced. Oh. There we go. It knew. It really? knew professional people guys like you said it's our first show so this is all new for us uh this started out in a little bedroom in pasadena like all good things and uh <laughs> and then moved to a little bedroom in el segundo yeah and get, get bigger bedrooms man. yeah it, well a little bit bigger they're so cozy and man. so now we're in a backyard in highland park so i feel like we've come full circle yeah I, yeah i feel like we're trending up and it's exciting we're taking it outside we're getting yes, more we adventurous yeah. and you guys skipped the the world series so we couldn't appreciate you more yeah thank you so much guys uh looks like the uh red sox have it uh clinched though uh now that i've said yeah. it out loud it will be a very exciting game uh, <laughs> they will the dodgers will really turn around um tonight we we wanted to do, we wanted to have a conversation largely about uh when basically intimate relationships and that can mm. span the spectrum of platonic to romantic i mean relationships whatever they are uh, adult friendships uh whatever we're all in them they're all hard good night <laughs> um so we just wanted to have a conversation with that about that we have some we have some guests we're gonna we're gonna shoot the yeah. shit I'm gonna swear some. Sometimes yeah, it's that'll, happen. that'll come out. Sorry. Especially once that second beer lands. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, 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 Have you guys, who out there has heard the show before? Oh, beautiful. All right, so you guys know. We, we always felt like we needed other voices as well, kind of like David mentioned. Like, we like to mix it up. We recognize we're two white men, and, you know, maybe that's not. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we have our own biases and perspectives, and this is a weird segue because I'm inviting another white man up. Uh, I realize it now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that, that didn't go the way I planned. Um, so, <laughs> listen the to the rest the of the episodes. The There's more the merrier yeah. for us white men. <laughs> uh, Let's keep this status quo rolling. <laughs> <laughs> Segways are hard. Um, so, uh, back, in <laughs> back in 2013, I, uh, I made a really tough decision to give up a lucrative career as a uh, background actor, professional background actor. <laughs> Um, you, you had a SAG card, though. You still have it. Oh, I made more money doing that than my first job out of seminary. Hey. Um, so when I got to seminary, Fuller Theological Seminary, Pasadena, uh, my first class was with a man named Cutter Calloway, and he headed up the theology and the arts concentration. So that was my focus. I came out of a very, you guys all know Mosaic here. I'll say the name. I, came, I was attending Mosaic at the time. I love that mix of the arts, Hollywood, entertainment, and I wanted my spirituality to kind of like bridge that gap as opposed to being at odds. And his was the first class I took. I became immediately one of my favorite professors, and I kind of followed him for my two years at seminary, and he's been kind enough to let me contribute on several of his own projects, including his most recent book, which is called Breaking the Marriage Idol, uh, Reconstructing Our Cultural and Spiritual Norms. It's an amazing book about how we view relationships in the Christian church and especially how marriage is always like the epitome of wholeness. It's like if you're single, best of luck, brother. You're like you're you're almost home. Like you just got to find the right person. Uh, and I was very, very single when he started writing this book and he asked me to contribute. I'm now engaged. I also ruined that. Uh, <laughs> that little segue. Uh, I'm signing up for marriage after deconstructing it. So uh, without further ado, Dr. Cutter Calloway. Take that mic. Doctor, doctor. All right. Uh, 
Cutter, let's just start with the obvious. Uh, this is a hard time for us. Are you okay? Is yeah, everything are you doing okay? all right? Are you all right? Are you, are you talking about my, my <laughs> Los Angeles Dodgers show? No. I hear they're coming back now that I've they, talked about yeah, it out loud. They're so. going to make a breakthrough. Uh, is there anything quick synopsis about you that you would like the audience to know before we dive into this conversation? Uh, ooh, um, no, other than I always like when people say, like, oh, Cutter was my first professor. <laughs> I'm like... I was. I didn't. Uh, mm. But I want you to know, Colton. You you are was your seared first into well. my no. <laughs> my memory. I was like my first class with Colton was memorable. Do you guys want um, me to move? I <laughs> no, I'm I'm joking because I didn't realize that was your first class. And yeah. uh, you know, you're just so wise and mature. I didn't know. It was, it was, oh, it's good. So, thanks. thanks. We'll have you back. Disagree. And and, and <laughs> th thanks for having me too. Uh, okay. Uh, are you are you married? Uh, I am married. I am about to celebrate 19 years oh, of man. marriage. Um, You're almost complete. I as am a human almost being. complete. I'm on my way yeah. to you know fullness. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 I never thought I would write a book about marriage. I mean, I am an expert. Um, <laughs> and uh, if anyone wants to know how awesome of a husband I am, uh, just ask my wife. She will tell you. Is she here? Um, no, she okay. is not. Um, but as I was writing that, uh, people would always they would go like, "Does your wife know about this?" And I'm like, "Well, does she support it?" And I'm like, "Yes, yeah, she." Now I, I was telling someone, maybe a few of you, that I always write books now with the goal that my wife will read them, um, and I have not succeeded yet. Um, she did make it. How many through. books are you on right now? Uh, I just finished my fifth. Uh, oh, but six times. Yeah, but by, by number four, I was still trying. But by number five, I didn't care. I'm just like, she's not going to read them. Um, but this one I really did write thinking through uh, not just uh, my relationship with her uh, and, and what's worked, what's not, what I basically fell backwards into. Um, I, I take zero credit for uh, our marriage lasting. I usually say, <laughs> I'm, I'm not overstating it. I mean, I think, I think my wife could be married to basically any other human on the planet and she'd have a great marriage. I'm fairly certain I could be married to one person um, and, and anybody else would probably kill me. Um, I don't think I'm I'm uh, you know tolerable really at the end of the day. Um, you'll find more about that as the conversation yeah, goes you on. You present um, well as a professor, so yeah, that's right. So name. yeah, so that's that's the book. Tell us tell us a little bit about what the breaking the marriage idol. What was the uh, what inspired it? What yeah. made you want to write it? What is the kind of through line of the book if there is one? Well, a number of things. I mean, the the through line really is is kind of what Colton set up, and that is I was thrown into this world of, of evangelicalism and uh, evangelical uh, sort of dating culture, dating slash marriage slash romance. I mean, like all of it's all bundled up in one. Um, and I really cut my teeth on that. In fact, in preparation for tonight, I put into my CD player, my Carcel CD player, <coughs> uh, Free at Last album by DC Talk. Yes. And I, yes. I cranked praise, up. Praise Jesus. I cranked up. Uh, we only bring uh, relevant speakers here. I, yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> I cranked up, I don't want it, right? Yeah. Like, I was like, yo, SEX is a test when I'm pressed, so back up <laughs> off with less of that zest. I mean, I, it all came back. It just, it just flows out of me. Um, and so I was really, like, my imagination was shaped by this culture. Um, and, you know, I'm a sort of uh, a contrarian, so I, I, I didn't buy into it hook, line, and sinker like I think some people did. Um, but it certainly shaped me and shaped my siblings. Um, and so I've watched both of my sisters um, go through just horrific uh, first and second marriages at times and, and deal with just really what is the, the trauma of terrible relationships that were entered into 
for who knows what reason. And I think the reason, uh, as I kind of started thinking through this, is because we've idolized um, marriage in certain subcultures of evangelical Christianity, and it's just a setup for failure. Um, At the same time, as I was thinking through some of these things and dealing with just personal uh, family relationships, um, just a handful of people started sharing stories with me. Um, One woman uh, that wrote a, a story, Colton's stories in here, and a handful of other people all wrote sort of vignettes of their encounter with this culture. Um, and a woman by the name of Jen Graffius, uh, she, she goes, Cutter, I want to write this, uh, this uh, article for like Vogue or something. And I, and I said, well, what, what is it? Colton, Colton. another Colton. phone call. Colton all right. Simmons, ladies you know, and gentlemen. It's all right. It's Isn't that that's just like a white man? Uh, no. <laughs> you just take it, take it. It's all right. Uh, so so Jen, Jen tells me, she's like, uh, I got to write this thing because um, I just got um, a, a wedding invitation. I was like, okay, well, what are you writing about? And she said, okay, so she is um, late 30s at the time, uh, has almost a doctoral degree, has multiple master's degree, a pretty good job, you know, well-established woman in her own right, um, does not live with her parents, but her younger brother lives with her parents in their back house. Um, and he is married and lives in his parents' back house. Okay, so if that's you... Uh, no, you know, uh, no judgment, but that was him. Um, so she went to her parents' house uh, on, a, on one weekend and saw their mail, and there's a mail, family friend, person's getting married. They sent out wedding invitations. And she goes, Cutter, um, I got the wedding invitation to our dear family friends as the plus one for my parents. And she's like, my brother and his wife got their own wedding invitation. And she's like, what is that about? When do I get to be an adult, right? I'm not, I, this is crazy. And I was like, wow, that, you're right, that is insane. And I kind of flippantly said, well, it's because we idolize marriage. And she's like, we what now? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible. It's not biblical. And I go, and, and then it, this conversation uh, emerged that I go, maybe this isn't something we normally talk about. And there are multiple dots that were connected, whether it's you're single and you're like running up against this norm, um, you're married and you're dealing with the, the pressures and the failures and the disappointments of what you thought this thing was going to be, um, or you're thinking about marriage, um, <laughs> and you're getting advice from all sorts of well-meaning people about what to do and what not to do. Um, and then when you add to that um, the craziness that is just modern sexuality and the prudishness which with the church has engaged modern sexuality, um, and it's just like a perfect storm of nastiness um, that I think we're seeing in the fact that uh, most Christian marriages don't even last as long as the general populace. Um, and that was a concern of mine, um, given the fact that I actually do think marriage is good. Uh, I want to say that just on. How many people are married yeah. here? All right. How there many people go. are single? Yeah. Shame. Okay. Yeah. Shame on you. Shame. No, 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 no. no. Shame. Everyone, who, everyone who's married is an idolater. That's the point <laughs> of the book. So. It's. <laughs> um, and in your book. Um, Colton, you actually wrote a, was it a chapter? Was it a, was, was it a vignette? I've, I've not read it because I am Colton's Appreciate wife it. and I don't read Colton's work. So we all uh, need someone we'll like that. Yeah. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what was the, but you wrote specifically about being single. Yeah. In the book. Yeah. I wrote about being single and I wrote about my mentor who is a 72 year old single man um, and crushing it at life. So I wrote about him being uh, not a hopeless romantic, but a hopeful romantic because he still has two burial plots um, in his family graveyard. So he's like, I rock on, I'm living life to the fullest, but if it, if it comes along, it comes along, and I'm never going to like completely you know, let that hope die. Yeah, I thought your uh, contribution was really great because um, part of what Colton, this was p- 
pre-Daniel. Um, and sort of this, you know, Colton would be like, Cutter, you don't get it. Um, <laughs> you're not a, you know, an attractive uh, b- professional actor of some kind. Oh. Working a professional in background <laughs> actor. <laughs> yeah, Colton was a professional <laughs> background actor. Professional background actor in L.A. I, I walk you know, so, so well you know, behind people. Uh, that's right, that's right. I just, I'm so, you know, like, a nice gate. women are clamoring for me at every a, turn. He really looks like he's waiting for a bus. That's like, <laughs> it's, it is so good. Uh, see, I don't know. I'm just a seminary professor. So here comes Colton. I'm like, this sounds believable, right? I, um, and he's like, you just don't get what it's like to be you know, a single man today in Los Angeles doing that. And I'm like, well, you know, I think you're right. And I would go back and I'm like, yeah, but I, I was single at one point. Like I knew, you know, but I don't think that was fair. So there's really some interesting things of the, the mere fact of putting a Colton and me together at the time um, uh, was really challenging, uh, hopefully for you, but, but for me to stop and go, okay, what are the, given how, and this is actually a good segue to white men. So <laughs> um, we're always looking yeah, for one. <laughs> But, but here's here, here's what's important about idolatry. Um, I I have the my I told you my, all my books start with titles, um, and since we're yeah since it's your podcast, so my I pitched to my publisher and I think I scared them, and then I had to like follow up an email saying like, did I scare you? Um, because I was like, what if I wrote a book called God Damn the Evangelical Empire? And <laughs> uh, see, exactly, um, what I mean is that that there's this interesting in American Christianity. Um, this probably won't be surprising to any of you, um, but the narratives that we tell are such that um, if you read any of the polls, it's white American Christians feel the most marginalized and oppressed and victimized of any demographic in the U.S. How on earth is that even possible? But but somehow, like in our in our psyche, uh, we feel like we're the outsiders. We're marginalized. People are out to get us. You know, there's a war on Christianity, um, and it's it's just false. Part of the reason I think we think that is because we've identified with the wrong part of our own story. So we see ourselves as these like people in exile that are going to the promised land, and it's like, oh, this godless nation that's about... No, I think we are Israel at the height of its gluttonous worst. We are the kings that, you know, our worship is a stench in God's nostrils. Um, and prophet after prophet after prophet comes and says, you guys better change, you better do something different, because you're in power and you're screwing it up. And they never do, uh, and it goes really poorly for them. But I think that's where we're at, so that we actually need to recognize what does it mean to be in power, and what does it mean to acknowledge that we've screwed it up, and it's blinding us in so many ways. And as a married person, as a white male married person, everything in my life wants to convince me that I don't need to listen to a single person, to a non-white person, to a non-male. And not just that I don't need to listen, but I'm actually encouraged to not do it, um, and it's it's toxic. And so, part of it is yes, we need more diversity up in these actual conversations. Hopefully, that's a good segue to yeah. whatever uh, the next maybe. person's in. Well, we had another um, guest, but we're just going to cancel <laughs> yeah, we're just her. Gonna, um, <laughs> I feel really good about the, this. I so. think the challenge, though, <laughs> the challenge for the three of us too is we also need to do some really deep work together to say where have we screwed it up, and only the three of us can actually do that, right? Only only a person that's in power can say. How has power perverted me in these ways? What kind of uh, things do I need to do to, to shift the dynamics there? Um, and, and so that's part of what the book is about, is calling out even those power dynamics that um, married people really have the say um, when it comes to our church life. Uh, and those who aren't basically aren't listened to. Um, and you're, you're kind of 
And, and that's my sort of confession. When Colton first came and was lamenting the, the challenge of singleness as, a, as an actor, um, I'm like, you don't know what you're just talking person. about. Just a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just a person. Be an actor. Yeah, yeah, just a person. Um, no. But, but that's, yeah, that's, that's my confession of that's what, the, that's what the idol is, is that it, 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 it's so captivating and so, um, it, it so captures our imagination that it would put me in a position that I would say, I don't even have to listen to your experience because I know better. Um, and that, that's terrible. I mean, that's wrong. So. Uh, I'm curious. I've, I've, I keep asking Colton questions, but I'm going to. Um, what, what was it at the time when you were writing that, when you were having these conversations? Do you remember back in those dark, cold days <laughs> of singleness, like what it was that you were like, oh, you, you don't know what it's like out here for a pimp and a player? I <laughs> <laughs> With that sad card. Um, <laughs> I just remember it's always the people that have the thing that tell me it's not good once you have it, and I'm like, I'm kind of done with all of that. Like, it's so, great. sort of like a rich person telling yeah. you that like money won't fix your problems. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, but my problems are rent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Just, just want to make sure we're on the same yeah. page. Yeah, no, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, it. Cool. You nailed it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, it'd be interesting to know because I um, I totally agree with you, and yet, like I teach on, is this too spiritual? I keep like I feel like I'm going spiritual on this. This is bad. God thing. I've got the our podcast is, is called the Back, back Pew. Oh, that's true. Okay, <laughs> yeah, you guys. Are, okay, okay, we're talking about stuff. Okay, uh, at some point we should get the. Third I teach a lot on board. Ecclesiastes, and you know, you got this this person historically that said was like crazy rich, had everything, and became the expert in saying it's completely meaningless. And I think there's a certain level where only someone who actually had it and could identify how meaningless it was actually has any credibility. Um, I still also get the point that, yeah, but I really, it would be nice to have a, a little cash. Um, so I don't know how you guys make sense of that. Because on one hand, you'd want to say, yeah, for us to call out how empty these, the sort of pursuit of relationship as fulfilling everything, you know, is it's empty. You know, there's nothing on the other side of the veil. Um, and yet... Uh, at the same time, I'd want to say you're you're absolutely right. Like, how can I, who's experienced it, tell you, no, it's no good or it's you know destructive? Um, I, I, have you ever thought of that? Yeah, I mean that's a, for a big reason. Like mysticism is a big part of our show, and mysticism is all about having like if you have three wheels on your tricycle, you have experience, tradition, and scripture. Those are like the three things that guide a traditionally like a Christian life. Um, the three tools that you get like tossed. Uh, and for a lot of us, scripture is like the thing that everyone beats on our head. And people like Richard Rohr and mystics are like, no, 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 no. It is all experience. Everything is experience. Even the fact that you prefer scripture means you experienced someone who told you scripture was the best way to go. So in my mind, I was like, no experience in and of itself is bad. It's what I bring to that experience. So I get that. <laughs> this sounds horrible. Your marriage may suck or like uh, it may suck once you got to marriage, but that's what you brought to the marriage or you brought to money or power or whatever. Um, and so uh, that was kind of a little bit of that is the arrogance of youth. And then a little bit of that, I think, is like the correct view of like mysticism saying like you need to go experience this and wisdom will tell you. You know, if someone tells me the pan is hot, I don't necessarily need to touch it. So it's not about experiencing everything. Um, but it is about having some sort of boldness to step out and go after the thing that something is like stirring in you to, to go do or go experience. And for me, marriage was kind of always that thing. And I felt like Pritch, my mentor, was kind of like a curse because I was like, God gave me a single mentor of all mentors to have. Like, this is like the biggest signal that's like, Colton, I'm trying to guide you this way, buddy. You know, so I was always warring against that. 
All right. With yeah, that, yeah, do you want to segue to? <laughs> yeah, this feels like a good place for a segue. Yeah. We're going to bring in our last guest. Uh, this last guest of ours, she's a good friend of the show, a good friend of ours, and she is currently engaged to Colton. Uh, but she's she's also uh, a human being, like in her own right or whatever. But uh, everybody, please welcome to the stage, Danielle Bennett. Hi. Hey, Danielle. Hey, Dan. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks. How do you think this is going so far? <laughs> You're doing all right. You're doing all right. All right. Cool. 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 Oh, don't mind me. I'm just going to crack this open since you <laughs> Do you guys also, I did want to say this earlier. Guys, if at any point during this show, we've never done this live. I cannot overstate enough how much we don't know what we're doing. If you need a beer, if you Very need true. wine or a cocktail, it will make things easier for all oh. of us. So <laughs> you are invited at any point in, the, in this show to go get a beer. It's totally fine. Like, from this point, like, I'm not going to call you out. We're not going to make jokes. Like, please, by all means, get a drink. I might need a drink. Uh, but, you know, we're doing it. You're doing a great job. Thank you. I, Thank I've you. needed a drink since the moment you started talking. Oh, so I'm, so, I'm I, sorry. No. <laughs> Can well, I get you a beer? I was not. <laughs> yeah, no, I've got one. Okay, Thanks. okay, Thanks. cool. You had something on the agenda that you wanted to that you wanted to hit on next. Well, I figured we would give you a little bit of time to introduce yourself. I know most people might know you already, but do you want to give the world uh, a little bit of a shout out for people that are going to listen to this, not just people who are here, about who you are, what you do, yeah, your personhood aside from me. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm Danielle. I work in communications for a nonprofit, and I moonlight as a poet and have been a poet for a long time. I'm Colton's fiance. You know that. Oh, okay. All right. oh, he's your fiance. He's yeah, mine. That's true. Yeah. Amen. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. There Thank we go. You. Is that good for an introduction? Yeah, yeah that's I think great. That's great. Yeah. Um, we're going to do a little bit of a different segue than what we did with Cutter here in our conversation. Danielle's a creative person. I feel like normally people would tee up a poem, but uh, we've been watching probably too much Jimmy Fallon and uh, James Corden, and all the games are kind of. Uh, did you just call him Seamus Corden? James. Oh, okay. James Shame. Corden. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, Seamus it's not Seamus Corden. James no, 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 no. uh, Corden. So uh, we thought we'd have a, a little bit of a game here, and that's all I'll say about it, and I'll kick it over to Danielle to kind of run the thing. Great. I am really excited um, that Colton let me off the hook of a poem tonight and that we get to do this upcoming game. Uh, I was a, a leader in a big church for a long time and a single woman for all of that time, and as such, I received a lot of dating advice. Um, I had a lot of well-intentioned big brothers and big sisters and non-people who I wasn't close with who uh, just felt the need to share their experiences and their sense of uh, relationships with me and insist that I follow their lead. Um, so we're going to play a little game called Bad Dating Advice. Yeah. And for this game, um, I'm going to need a volunteer. I'll explain how the game is going to go, but I need like a good willing volunteer. And I'm, I actually think I need a lady to balance this out a little yes. bit. So can I have a lady volunteer to play our game? Yeah, and there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, stand on up. Go ahead, stand up. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Come on up, come on up. Yeah, yeah, bring so your drink. Bring the wine. There you go. Bring the drink. Stand with me, but don't look over my shoulder because I have answers on here. Okay, this is. You want to introduce yourself? What's your name? Sure. Hi, I'm Chelsea. Hi, Chelsea. Well, yeah, Chelsea. Give it up for Chelsea. Yeah. Thank you, Chelsea. Um, so this is how the game is gonna go. Chelsea, I am going to preface a little question, but what you'll do with these questions stays the same each time. Each one of the gentlemen will read A, B, and C. Two of those 
are pieces of bad dating advice that I got. Okay. One of those is a piece of bad dating advice that I didn't get. Got so it. it's like two truths and a lie. Got it, got it, got it. You're trying to pick out the one that I didn't get. Right. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Okay. Gentlemen, Does everybody else understand? You guys understand that? Everybody gets it. Okay, yes. cool. Okay. We're good. So, gentlemen, do you all have one up on your... Yep. Yes. I got one. Yes. Uh, we all know it's not easy to find a good match. Which of the following pieces of advice about meeting someone did I not receive? A, get on an app. You'll never find someone that's going to work for you at this church. <laughs> B, you should spend more time at the gym. <laughs> it, uh, C, make a list of your ideal traits, pray for them, and God will give you that person. Hallelujah. Chelsea. Which of the following, A, B, or C, are pieces of advice, that, that, or which one is the one that I didn't get? Atrocious, all of them. Um, I'm going to go with the first one. No, someone said that to no. me, for sure, yeah. The someone incorrect answer was? The, was B. No oh, one good. told me that I should oh, spend more oh. time at the gym. Oh. Although that may work for some people. Yeah, <laughs> that, that does sometimes work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that works all right, uh, next question. <laughs> if you guys want to know the fun. stories behind these, I'm happy to talk later. Um, <laughs> Text your questions to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we know the search isn't that easy. So, which of the following pieces of advice about potential love match encounters did I not receive? A. Don't worry about it. Just do you, and he'll show up. Mm. B. You're just too intimidating. Maybe that's why you haven't found the right person. C, just look for an accountant. You need someone stable. <laughs> Chelsea, which one of those are pieces of advice that I did not receive? Yikes. Can I hear the first one again? Just don't worry about it. Do you and he'll show up. It was actually A. It was A, yeah, your instinct was right. No one said that to me, but wow. the other two, they did. Also, let's shatter this accountant myth right yeah. away. Yeah. I've, uh, I've bartended in the financial district for years. <laughs> Those guys do some cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't uh, Stranger Than Fiction? He's an accountant. He hears voices, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah come yeah. on. Yeah, that's unstable. Yeah. All right. This is a real piece of advice. Though. <laughs> yeah. um, three. Now, once we've found a potential date, we get a whole other wave of opinions. Which of the following pieces of advice about taking the date did I not receive? A, don't settle or lower your standards, but also rethink what you're asking for and just give them a shot. <laughs> B, give it a chance. It's free dinner. <laughs> C, at the very least, you'll get some good flirting practice. Chelsea, which one of those are pieces of advice that I did not receive? Please see. It was C. Oh. Uh, it was C, yeah. Go. Way to go, Chelsea. There's hope, There's hope for humanity. You did it, you did it. Okay, uh, question number four. After you've had a couple dates, people want to know if you're staying around. People always wanted to know if you were staying around for me. Um, which of the following pieces of advice did I not receive about whether or not he'd stay around? A, when you meet the right person, you'll get those butterflies and know right away. B, don't lose this one. He's so good to you. You might not find someone better. Uh, the chemistry grows over time. You just have to open up a little more. Which one of those are pieces of feedback and advice that I didn't receive? A, the first one? 
Oh, no, someone said that to me, yeah. It was C. C, uh, yeah, yep, C. Someone said this to you? You're doing great, you? though. This is really hard. Yeah, they're all in one pool. Now you know what I had to navigate. <laughs> horrible, man. <laughs> yeah, this game actually explains all of the yeah, beginning yeah. of our relationship. I'm extra glad because I first thought this said the chemistry groans over time, <laughs> and I was very confusing to in me. In some cases. <laughs> yeah. In some cases, yes, that's how we started this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Chelsea, here's the final question. All right, and then it ends. At least for me, it always ended until Colton. Um, and then everyone tells you why it ended. Which of the following bits of advice, given in hindsight, did I not receive? Oh, man. A, he introduced you to prophetic prayer and then cheated on you? Yeah, you should have seen that coming. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's a solid bit. That's a good, I just want to say, if it, that's a solid bit. He didn't share your spirituality and your heart is broken? Those types of beginnings obviously never work. He made you feel insecure about the way you posed for photos. That's because you only date assholes. Chelsea, which one of those <laughs> things is something people didn't say to me? C. Oh, no, C, someone said. It was oh B. Oh, my God. It was B. B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was B. And the thing. Chelsea, you know what? <laughs> you stand up here. That means you won the game. Yeah. Let's give a round of applause for Chelsea for yeah. winning the game. There you go. Thank you win a chocolate, uh, chocolate yeah, go stir. Yeah, go take that thing <laughs> yeah. from the game <laughs> earlier. Get the chocolate. That's yours. Yeah. Yay. Yay. Thank you, Chelsea. Thanks, guys. Oh, man. Oh, my. <laughs> if you want to know more, you'll go ahead and text your questions. So I, I should answer in light of this. Uh, an, another reason that I wrote that book is because I'm the father of three daughters. And so, like, this is Good my nightmare luck. is basically what you're <laughs> describing. So That's also why I'm praying for boys. <laughs> <laughs> Good white boys. <laughs> We're running out. Oh my God. <laughs> There's things I say on this podcast that I've thought about, like if someone were to cut them and put them into some other context. Uh, I've been doing that. I edit the show. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You cross me, boy. Oh your, man. Your intimidation thing, though, reminds me of I don't know if you guys watch the new stand up thing on Netflix. It's like new acts for like 15 minutes. And this one woman was talking about, she was uh, accused of, uh, people were like, well, maybe men are just intimidated because you're so funny. And she's like, oh yeah, I'm constantly in these like back alleys and I see these guys and it's <laughs> like, yeah, you could murder me with your hands, but it's my humor that's intimidating <laughs> to you. They're, oh! Exactly. Um, okay, so, it so I am interested in this because I, w I was friends with you previously. I was friends with you as a, uh, as a single person. Um, I don't think I gave you any of those pieces of advice, but if I ever did, then I want to take this time to apologize in front of all these people. Uh, and I was friends with Colton before you guys started dating, so I kind of was there uh, at the beginning of your dating relationship. So I kind of just want to hear your perspective on like your side of things when that when that initial dating experience started, because it sounds like there's a with lot Colton. of yeah with Colton, yeah. Yeah. Is that okay? Are you yeah, open to actually, talking yeah, about and that? To, if, I mean, we, I think we both remember correctly that your piece of advice was to date Colton. So you possibly gave me some of the best yeah, yeah, advice yeah. that I got. Yeah, I wingman yeah. the shit yeah, out of you. There we yeah, go. You <laughs> that's, how, that's how they like to tell the story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> 
Yeah, I told Colton uh, we were, had we were working together in a particular capacity, and I was like always on guard because I was a single woman. I don't know. I just wanted to make sure that he knew right away I was never going to date him. And so I would constantly talk about my ex-boyfriends and how different they looked than Colton. Um, Can you describe them physically right now? (laughs) The opposite of me. (laughs) I may have spoken about men of color on a regular basis. Um, Other such attributes. Um, Got it. I think I was in a meeting where someone tried to set you up with a tall football player who had millions of dollars. And, and I said that I was, was exactly my type. And Maybe I was like, I like not, me, not me, not me, not yeah, me. Perfect. Yeah. All right, cool. Like I, over, <laughs> I overemphasized it. So uh, I also tried to, just in case Colton wasn't picking up on that, I tried to set him up with my friend, um, which he didn't bite on at all. So I'd constantly bring it up all the time. And then the night that Dan actually wingmanned for Colton, I, that particular friend was not having a, a very good week. And so I was like, tonight's the night. I'm just going to set her up with this good man that I know named Colton. And I'll get to catch up with my buddy Dan while their chemistry sparks fly. And so I got us, I got us all uh, to get together somehow, which is a funny story on their end. Um, and Colton didn't talk to her the whole night. He just kept scooting closer and closer to me. And then, uh, I mean, the story progresses from there. But for the rest of our like dating relationship, while Colton was pursuing me, I pushed him away pretty hard. I had like, such bad anxiety because I had so many people who had so many opinions about who I dated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just didn't have any space or mood for that. I just would rather have dated no one for a lot longer. But Colton was very persistent. So this is something that I, I kind of want to like open the floor up about a little bit because I feel like it is sort of unique to uh, Christendom and like mm-hmm. American Christian culture that people tend to really weigh in on other people's dating lives in a way that I've actually, um, I mean, coming from the church and like a background in Christianity, I do like still have connectivity with with that community, but most of my social group is uh, non-churched and non-Christian are not coming from the same background. And I do not see the same level of like prodding in the early dating stages that I see like in the church. Uh, it seems like among, uh, among young Christians, Christians in their 20s and early 30s, that dating period, there is a lot of nitpicking that happens and really like, oh, you went on one date, like, led, like really putting a lot of pressure on those first few encounters and uh, like really weighing in on like the course of that. And that seems fairly destructive or it seems, it just seems like, it, it seems really hard to get past that. Um, in your, it sounds like you've worked with uh, people who are, uh, I'm talking to Cutter for anybody listening to the podcast. Um, <laughs> Cutter, it sounds like you've worked with people who are churched and people who are not. If, in your experience, is that necessarily the case? Is there a lot more pressure on dating within the church that might not be happening outside of it? Uh, I mean, pr- it's a different kind of pressure, uh, I think. I think there's a lot more pressure to find a spouse in dating. So, I mean, like, the, the pressure to date or to be in, uh, the, you know, one thing we talk about with if you're single, um, to me, isn't necessarily mean that you're alone, right? Like, to, to think of, like, a full, robust yeah, notion of, of yeah. singleness isn't that you, like, live a life of isolation, yeah. although that's how we envision it sometimes. But in within Christian communities, anyway, um, the pressure, I think, that's added and the, wa- the reason why you would nitpick and, like, is he, is he right or not or whatever, at least, you know, the messages I received <coughs> and I continue to hear is it's because this is all preparation for marriage. So why would you even 
why would you even date if it wasn't to find a spouse, right? So the pressure comes in that you're all, I mean, imagine you're, well, we all were at one point, a 17-year-old, and it's like, oh, I, I like this person. Let's go have some pizza. And it's like, well, you know, how do they manage their finances? And it's like, wh <laughs> what? You know, like, I, 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 that's just, it's just, it's a sort of category mistake, I think. Um, but I do think that's why uh, people get invested so much. I mean, there's also just the, you got to say it mixes in with some sincerity, right? There's some uh, people that really do just care about you. But again, the care is driven by this assumption that the only way that you can flourish or thrive is if you ultimately find a spouse. Um, so your current status, and it's so like uh, encouraging to people, your friends and family, because like oh, they're going on a date. She's going on a date, not with an asshole, right? Like, oh, this is great. Maybe, maybe she's going to get married because the the driving assumption behind that is that's the only way that this woman is going to actually flourish or find fulfillment. Um, and I don't think that exists as much or in the same way um, outside the church anyway. I do kind of want to ask a little bit of a pointed question because I think it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting topic in your guys' relationship specifically because you've said multiple times and Colton uh, recounts this as well. You had a lot of reticence to diving into dating. So while you were, it, did you, I, I think like the message right now that I hear so often and I think and I agree with is that when a woman is like, no, I'm not interested. That should be respected. This is why I grabbed a beer before this conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Started. We're getting into <laughs> it. So, like that, that I think, like I think, by and large, like that is the rule. That's where we need to be culturally. So, I'm wondering, from your point of view, did did you you obviously never really felt infringed upon you uh, or you didn't uh, or like it you at least didn't feel like <laughs> all right all right here we are we're in this weird space now we're all here together um i'm i'm curious was it was it the fact that you had a pre-existing friendship was it about did you did you did that change somehow or were you like oh i am kind of interested i'm just afraid of the fact that i am interested I'm interested in that dynamic yeah. because that is that's that's a topic right now. Yeah, I would never probably advise any m of my male friends to pursue me the way that Colton did, uh, but it really worked for us. Like it really worked. I think I think that's and totally Colton fair. And Colton couldn't have done it any other way. Like I think that's yeah. I think that's totally fair. I think it's okay to say, yeah. and I think it's important to note that like relationships should not just be like carbon copied for like different people. They don't all work the same way for different for different pairs. Yeah. So well, I think what Colton would say a little bit, and people who listen to this won't be able to see this, but Colton, um, I think, says that I was always like, no. <laughs> you know? She's nodding yes. Yeah, I'll stand up if you could be like, no. <laughs> when I, whenever I would say no to him. So I think he felt a sense of like, yes, in my actions a little bit. So I'll give him that much, even though I said no a lot. Um, let's, I would let's, also let's agree, though. Can I say we this? Weren't we weren't friends before, though. We weren't friends before. We weren't really and friends. I would say this. I would also say that the way that I played it, I also would not advise other men to do because it's done so horribly. And <laughs> what I think the the niche thing is that I even wanted to bring the whole this whole interview back to was friendship. Um, friendship is the only foundation for any long lasting, authentic relationship with integrity. I, I just don't see any other way. And so, yes, she said no, and we were working together. So, like, I jumped so many boundaries that are, I think, healthy and wise to be respected, and I kind of skipped them. 
but what we had in common was we had. <laughs> we I just want to be. I want to be clear really quick because I'm uh, friends with you and I have to protect myself. Um, what? <laughs> um, like what? What is being said no to? Is it like, do you want to go get coffee? No. Will you go out on a date with no, me? Every is single it... text message was so flirty, and I would always be like, no. I send it back this this emoji all the time. <laughs> and then <laughs> I called him one time and told him to stop texting me or like stop flirty texting me, and that was that was a big no. That is a clear no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he that called, is a hard he no. He called me and basically talked me out of it in an hour and a half. Yeah. Okay, what? here's, here's yeah. what happened, though. <laughs> here's what happened. The thing with Danielle is she was very magnanimous, had this huge community. Lots of opinions. We just read, I don't know, there's three times four, you know what I mean? There's like, a lot of good There's a lot also. of, a lot, of good ones. lot of terrible opinions. Three times so, four is 12, Cole. There, thank you, I was <laughs> skipping the math. Uh, you can do it, you can do it. Uh, <laughs> uh, study theology. Um, so I... I don't know how to say this. It's such a tricky, there's so many landmines in this conversation, and that's what the back pew is all about. It's like, look, we know there's landmines, but you gotta be able to like endure some of this tense discussion where there's so much gray, it is not black and white. Um, and yes, there were moments where it's, it was a gray area of like, do I listen to this no, or do I say, can we jump on a phone call, and can I get a clear no as to why? Because right now, I know you've had a few, and you're around a lot of people who know me, and they're like, oh, Colton, you're gonna date him? And I'm like, don't let that shit get in your head. That's nonsense. And when you, it's the problem with church communities. It's everybody thinks they have a right to your life when you're in a church community, especially when you're on stage and you're performing. They're like, I can't tell you how many people Danielle described to me as brothers. Oh, they're like a dad. Oh, they're like an uncle. Oh, they're like a cousin. Oh, they're like a sister. I'm like, is everybody related? Does everybody get this pass? I was like, I am so particular with who I give that label to. So that means something to me. And when you don't see that person for two years and they're like a brother, you're like, I don't know, no, that doesn't really count to me. So if that's the opinion of someone that's like at a 4th of July party giving you shit for dating me, then no, I don't respect this no. Like, let's have a conversation about it. So that's my little <laughs> asterisk I think, I think, to this conversation. Yeah, it sounds like so. there's a big difference between like what is being described and just like some guy trying to talk to a girl at a bar. And I think like that's, that's like a, yeah. And I have to say, again, to circle back to friendship, we had we had this guy in common. Like, I mean, wingman. I'm a great wingman. A great wingman. Awesome wingman. When she when Danielle texted me about hanging out and getting drinks, I didn't know she was trying to get me with her friend. Yes, you did. Dan was a. <laughs> I didn't care. So Dan, Dan was across town in like Santa Monica, and I was like, "You're coming to Highland Park." <laughs> Why? I'm like, Daniel just texted me about getting drinks, and he's like, "I'm coming to Highland Park." <laughs> yeah, so, drove from Santa Monica to Highland Park for this. But, <laughs> But that's the kind of validation you, I think men need. Like, if you don't have shared relationships and you're just some dude slipping into the DMs, then yeah, then a no is a no. And what are you thinking? But if you have this shared relationship, you have a shared community, you have shared belief, you have all this installed connection, then I just feel like then you go with your, your gut a little bit. And you need to be a wise, mature person who can look to a friend and go, hey, am I crossing a line or am I, am I being smart to not take the first hurdle that comes my way in this amazing relationship that could be. Let's take, let's take the pressure off of you guys for just a second. You guys are great, you guys are both champions. Congratulations on getting through that. Um, Cutter, what do you think is the biggest, like just in terms of, uh, in terms of like this morass and this minefield, we're talking about friendships and yeah. like the intersectionality of uh, friendships and relationships. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm curious what you think. If you had to put a pin in it, what is the biggest mistake mistake that <laughs> early um, early relationships are making? Well, first, uh, my text history is almost identical with Colton as yours is. So uh, he's like sending super flirtatious things. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, no. He doesn't listen. It's like, I want to take another course with you, Professor Calloway. <laughs> no, You're not um, a student anymore, yeah, Colton. Yeah. This has to stop. Yeah. I can uh, audit it. <laughs> my wife can see these, Colton. <laughs> Um, Please friendship. let me write friendship. in your book. <laughs> well, I, I mean, hearing you guys talk, so um, I'll, I'll make the connection here. Um, you weren't against, when you said I was against dating, you were saying you were against dating Colton. Not yeah, I was like, against you dating Colton. Like I was a little tired of dating, yeah. so I just was ready for a little bit of a break. I, but I think, well, what's interesting, so Colton and I talked um, uh, last week or whatever about what we would want to talk about, not just marriage or singleness or dating, whatever, but friendship, um, is that... I, and I go back and I, I've I've thought uh, a podcast that you guys were on. We talked about friendship and what does that look like. And I d me reflecting of like I don't really have any. Um, I don't have any super intimate male friendships. Um, and there's this film that that described that. <clears throat> and I thought, why is that? And I go back in my my history. I've got my own personality. My uh, industry is a sort of like isolated thing. Um, it's, you know, anytime you're in sort of public leadership roles, you're, you're, it's hard to engage people like a normal human. Um, plus I'm socially awkward. So all of those things. Um, <laughs> but I realized, um, I, maybe just a couple days ago, I had in late middle school, high school, um, this, my best friend, uh, Justin was his name, is his name. He's still alive, I believe. If, if, if Facebook is any indication. Um, and I'm pretty sure it was an abusive relationship. Like I've now, as I look back on it, like what our relationship was like, um, what you know, the and again, you're like teenagers, what do you know? Uh, but but it was not healthy or good, um, and and I think it actually sort of traumatized me in some way, um, to uh, male like close male relationships. He was probably the closest friend I've had, um, and I'm super hesitant with it. And I think one thing that people and I'm just trying to imagine like a new person coming into my life pursuing me over text, right? I'm trying to make the analogy here. And like, I'll be like, no, forget it, you know. Uh, or, or even not clearly, I'll just sort of, oh, I got my kids. Or I'll come up with some excuse that's totally legitimate, but will but we'll push them away. And I think someone would have to like really pursue me against my will, almost. Like they would have to woo me. And the reason is because I... I have this history, right, of friendship. And I think that might be one thing that we don't consider a lot, um, I, I, you know, whether we're part of a Christian community or not, but especially uniquely within Christian communities, most of us probably have been traumatized by that community at some point. Um, and if we're trying to say, I want to have a deep and meaningful friendship with somebody um, without acknowledging that you're coming from this history that really is... is you've embodied, right? Like you can't get away from it. Um, I, I don't think there's any way around it. And I think we're, uh, we're basically threatening to re-traumatize people if we don't acknowledge up front the kind of stuff people bring um, from the get-go. So I don't know if that actually answers your question, but that's what I was thinking through of, of what would it take for someone to really befriend me. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's somehow acknowledging that history and that past. Um, and to be honest, I don't know what that even looks like. I mean, how... How do they know unless I give something um, of that? So. Well, I think for for most of my life, um, 
there, I sort of had this understanding, this like um, this bifurcation between uh, there are friendships and there is romantic relationships, and like I didn't know how there was any crossover between those two, but it seems like um, it, it seems like not being able, like we 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 tend to really emphasize like. Um, finding somebody special and dating and relationships and trying to like, you know, take that part of your life to the next level. But we don't necessarily put the same emphasis on maintaining healthy friendships and building healthy relationships with our peers. And I mean, um, I even like, as you get older, there's kind of that experience of like friends start to sort of like drift away a little bit or like just naturally people move for jobs or families, you lose track of people. And um, I mean, maybe I'm alone in this, but probably not. I'm very charming. But like for me, like there's this feeling of like, I don't know, I don't remember how to like make new friends. Mm -hmm. Like how, are, if I like meet somebody, I'm like, well, this guy seems cool. Do we go to a movie? <laughs> like how does this, yeah. like what's, what's next Absolutely. here? Yeah. Yeah. Like I literally, like I'm, I, I, I had this experience, I had this experience recently where like this guy was like, hey, do you want to just go get coffee? And I was like, a couple of coffee dates later, I was like, I think I'm friend dating this guy. And it was like, I was like, I haven't, I haven't like had to try to like make a new friend in a while. I've like had my pool and it has dwindled sw slightly. And I'm like, I don't really know how, this is an interesting kind of feeling, but that, that, ability to build friendship, uh, cultivate healthy friendship, and maintain it is probably, I mean, it sounds like, as an unmarried guy, it sounds like that is a huge part of romantic relationships that mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily get touched on quite as much. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, we don't, well, we, and again, depending on who the we is, uh, you know, the church, the Christian community doesn't really have those mechanisms, at least con con the contemporary church. Um, in an ideal world, what we do, like you have backyard gatherings where you just are together. But when you add these these pressures of um, expectations of sort of coupling, um, everything is driven towards that relationship as opposed to, well, what does it mean to have to just to make friends, right? And then if you do, so let's imagine you find a way with your, you know, your new coffee BFF um, to, to say like, yeah, well, you, you actually are meaningful to me in a way that you can't just move across the country for a job like that's that's not cool maybe you would have to and but but we would have to negotiate that we'd have to like figure that out yeah colton um, would have to break up with me if yeah he were i mean to there'd have to be away. like a formal something to like this is the the you know something like that but <clears throat> we've not developed and and again this is i i say i think in the book maybe have you read the book <laughs> um, i read what i wrote answer. yeah you read what you wrote um great stuff I, I think i say this in the book but but i think it'd be healthy for us to think about some new rituals that we publicly support that relationship. If you and this guy are like, we are friends in, 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 a, in a sense in which I'm committing my life to this person in some sort of faithfulness and fidelity, I, not only do I want to do that for the sake of this other person, but my entire community wants to publicly support it and say we're all in too and we want to hold you accountable when you bail on him, when you don't drive up from Santa Monica, you know, these sort of things. Um, and But we don't have anything like that. And the tragedy is we do have it for this thing called weddings, but it's become just a completely empty ritual. No, yours will not be a completely empty. It'll be beautiful. It'll be the, it'll be the best wedding in the so world meaningful, ever, ever in history. All the meanings. Um, and that, that, was my, that was my Trump. 
It was the only, it was perfect. It was, I thought it was, it was very good. It was spot on. Anyway, <laughs> be very meaningful. But The white um, guys here were yeah. like, I recognize it. <laughs> so, so you've got this, this ritual that has like been emptied of meaning, and yet it seems like we could do something to support that. But right now, there's, uh, there aren't really any handholds for that, but it's, it's so important, I think. I think part of that, though, a little bit is um, not having a radar for health when you see it sometimes, too. Because um, I think that's, at the end of the day, that's one of the things that drew me to Colton is there was such a level of health in the way that he perceived things, in the way he saw me and related to me and the conversations we had too. But I find that playing out a lot in my friendships and my friendships have changed a lot over the years because of that same radar and an ability to say, I want to be with healthy people and I want to be around people who make me healthier. Um, even if it doesn't make my life bigger and like crazier and have more people, because health sometimes can look a lot smaller. Um, but I think that was a big thing for me when it came to finding both good friends and Colton. I have a question. I'm, I'm going to try to synthesize. There's like four different questions that you guys texted in about uh, s similar to this. And you guys all have very different experiences being married. And you got married young, right? Uh, I was 21. 21. Mich missionary kid. And then Danielle also growing up with a family that was what it was, a little shaky, and then finding a lot of family amongst friends. So my question is basically, how do you prioritize people in your life, especially with this context, which is the way you ended your book, which I loved, which is the passage in Mark 3.33, right? Where he says, uh, people are like, Jesus, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside. And he's like, who are my mom and my brother? Like, and, and it says he looked around and he said, these are my mom and my brother and my sisters. Um, and a lot of what we've been dealing with as a couple is mm -hmm. who are we going with? Yeah. Like blood is sometimes the most harmful relationship in our life. People that seem to have that shortcut into our life because we're like, well, we're related. They have to have a priority status. You moved around so much that you got used to leaving people left and right and family even. Um, how do you guys because I feel like I have the least interesting experience with relationships and all that. <laughs> How do you three prioritize who you travel with, who I'm you step outside for, you know what I mean? I'm not going to answer first, but I love that question for whoever the people are who ask that, because I want to hear the answers. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I'll kick that off. Um, okay, so... I was actually, I, I was just telling somebody recently, like within the past couple of days, I, I have this like really vivid memory of being in eighth grade and asking my friend, uh, Nick Venturella, who at the time I considered my very best friend in all the world. And we were both missionary kids living in Bucharest, Romania. And um, I asked him, I was like, Nick, you know, keep in mind, I'm 13 at the time. So I'm like, Nick, do you think we're going to like, you think we're going to be best friends for a long time? And he just was like, no, man. Like, <laughs> like, no, one of us is going to move. Like, one of us is, like, one of our families is going to move. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that that's what our families do. Like, we, we move. Somebody is moving every year at most. Like, if you had a friend for longer than two or three years at my high school, like, that was as long as you could have known somebody. Because otherwise, like, there were just families were coming and going on furlough. The dad, like, everybody was following the, the dad around on the mission field. So you really were, like, nobody was really considering, like, should we leave our child in a high school for, like, a long time? I was at my high school in Romania for five years, which was in eternity in my high school's years. Like, the fact that I went through eighth grade all the way through 12th. 
And in that time, I had probably four people that I would have said, like, that's my best friend. And it was a different person every single year. Um, so I think as I've, and also like what was interesting about my missionary upbringing is there was this, uh, there's this built in missionary kids fit into this umbrella terminology called third culture kids and third culture kids are anybody, missionary, government, business, for whatever reason, they are raised away from their, um, their home culture. So I'm an American citizen. They're raised away in a different country, their host culture, a, a, a country they live in, but that is not truly their home culture. So whenever they're in their home culture, they don't actually belong to it. And whenever they're in their host culture, they're considered a foreigner. So they don't actually fit into either country. So they develop a third culture amongst one's, one another. So I had this ability as a kid to bond with somebody. If I was an American living in Romania and I met a kid from Indonesia who had grown up in Qatar, I had more in common with that kid than I would with a kid who had just grown up in Sacramento. Like there was a greater ability for me to resonate with him because I at least understood what he had gone through to some extent. And I realized as I got older, um, that forms really fast, like concrete bonds. It's almost like we would, I would meet other TCKs at camps and summer events and stuff like that. And I would just be like, we're friends, we're friends. Like I'm never, I'm never letting go. Like, and we'd be pen pals and we'd like write each other on MySpace and do all that stuff. And it's just like, we're close, we're close forever. And I did not learn, I, it, it took me moving to America as an 18 year old to realize like, oh, Americans are a little bit slower at this like friendship building thing. They don't just automatically find somebody. It's like Seinfeld's old joke, like, you like grape juice, I like grape juice, we're, we're best friends. Like, <laughs> like it's not, it takes time and you have to develop, uh, you have to develop rapport and trust. Like that was a huge thing, learning that. So as I've gotten older, I've definitely, for me now, who am I, who am I like moving along with? Because I never have and don't have a concrete sense of where my home is, I've never had a sense of going home or being at home anywhere physical, um, then people become my sense of home. So like the people who are closest to me um, become my sense of home and I typically build that by the people that I have gone through difficulty, tribulation with, people who have seen me in hard, difficult, painful times and uh, have stuck around, have not bailed, have, uh, have, and I've you know been there for them. Like I think those friendships for me are solidified by going through things together, working on something difficult together. Um, there, there is like sharing in those experiences kind of solidifies those friendships. I think for me it takes a little more than just like now it takes more than just like, oh, let's like get coffee. You're a, a cool guy. Like, you seem like a cool person. We have to sort of exist in some kind of trench together. Mm -hmm. It could be work. Mm -hmm. It could be like collaborating on something like this. Like, what it, it's, some, it's some level of like sweat equity. Mm -hmm. I think that's how I'm developing those relationships. Here's the rub. I want you guys to answer, but some of the other questions asked about this. Then what's the, what's the prerequisite for dating then? Does your girlfriend also have to do that same thing? Um, or fiance or husband or wife? My future husband will have to. Um, I think, yeah, I think, well, I think there is, mm, that's, a, that's a good question. I think, yeah, you do have to, 
I think it is important. You, you really don't know where you stand in a relationship, I think, until you go through some stuff together. Yeah, I think that, like, I think that's true. I think you have to go through the ringer a little bit. You have to, um, you have to share in one another's pain a little bit. You have to, sh like, it, and uh, you have to carry one another's burdens. And uh, that's where you really find out if what you have is, like, the good stuff and, like, worth fighting for because it won't always, like, feel that great. So, yeah, you can't, I guess you won't really, it's hard to know until you, like, really are, are in that proverbial trench. Do you want to answer next, Danielle? Oh, yeah. Um, sure. I feel like there's also so much strong relational wisdom in this room and some people who are really, really great at relationships, and I've learned from watching the way you prioritize. So I appreciate that. I think that uh, I r what Dan said really resonates with me. This has been the hardest year of my life um, for a lot of reasons, but particularly because of some intense um, family grieving and intense loss in the in my family. And I've never understood um, in the same way until now what a good friend means to me. Um, like Colton said, I used to just collect friends because I needed family and I needed that much padding in my love and for people to love and value me and in case what something went wrong, I always had like 99 other friends to go to. Um, and now I understand the gem a lot more of having a couple people who are willing to s stand in the hardest part of your life with you. Um, and to your point, that's what made me fall in love with Colton even more in this season is because he's been able to stand in that hardest part of my life with me. And quite honestly, part of the prioritization that I'm learning and um, not that I'm inviting advice because you guys know I don't need, I don't need more. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure there's some other wisdom in this room around that. But um, part of the prioritization are people who can be there not just for me in this season because I've had a lot of people who are good at showing up for me, uh, but be there for us. And that's been... a tough thing to learn who's willing to be there for me and Colton at this time when it's like not fun to listen to how my life has been going in the past couple months. Sorry, those brought down the uh, <laughs> level yeah, a little that's bit. That's great. That was awesome. <laughs> that's good. Perfect. Cutter, you, got, you have a wife and three kids, so is it just like blood is it? That's all I got time for? <laughs> it's a wrap on friends and... There's a lot of blood. Uh, <laughs> it's it's like constant injury. Happy Halloween. Uh, um, you know, there's you know there is no greater love than this, and that someone should lay down his life for a friend, uh, not a spouse, not a you know prospective boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Um, I think that's pretty interesting. That like the height of love actually is rooted in a, a friendship relationship. Um, my wife is, in fact, that at this point for me. Um, but she doesn't exhaust the whole of what I as a human need in terms of friendship. Um, and that then gets to, you know, I'm sure this will be read at your, your wedding. Um, you know, uh, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's not just two, right? Um, it's going to happen, right? It's going to be read. Uh, and Corinthians. And Corinthians, yes, yes. Uh, but even that passage that's been sort of trivialized in some ways uh, is interesting because, you know, a, little, a dyad isn't enough to complete your life as a human. There's more. You need something more. Um, 
the challenge, then you get back to why did Paul advise people not to get married? <laughs> it's pretty clearly like don't get married because your priorities change, because they have to. How you prioritize your relationships, who you commit to, who you sacrifice for, who you're in the trenches with, all gets shifted and reoriented. And yeah, 19 years ago, I naively, unknowing, I didn't even know what I was doing. I mean, no one does. But especially at 21, I'm like, oh, yeah, she's hot, right? I mean, like, this is great. And she's wonderful and kind and, and talented. Yada, yada, and yada. Person, you know, all of blah, this stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, my wife is, qu- you know, quantitatively beautiful, like objectively beautiful. I can't, we believe you, not, man. We believe not, you. I know. I'm just saying. Yeah, she's uh, a smoke show. Uh, yeah, Backtopodcast.com exactly. to see so, a photo of Cutter's wife. Yeah, so uh, yeah she yeah. does listen to podcasts. She doesn't read books. Um, but... Um, but I still, I like looking back, I'm like, man, what? We, you know, we've, we're now, I've been like six different people since then. She has two. And somehow we've, it's, yeah, we've managed to still get together. And I could certainly see a scenario where the people that we did or didn't become didn't work together. Like, I, you know, so I don't, I really don't take credit for that. However, um, the priority thing is interesting because what did happen, or at least my commitment as I understood it to her and she has to me, is to say, you're the priority. Right. Like that's what that is. Um, and everything else becomes secondary at, at that moment. Um, and it's a decision you have to make literally every morning. Right. I mean, like um, I, I just watched A Wrinkle in Time this afternoon with my. my six, I know. I know. It's just I watched five my, minutes. my six year old really wanted to see it. She loved it. Um, but I apologize if you worked on that film. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Utter rubbish. <laughs> <I like> it. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you did, my six year old loved it. So. Um, but uh, Chris Pine, the, the guy, the dad, he wants to like, what's the line? Like, I wanted to shake hands with the universe. I should have been holding yours, right? To his daughter, right? <clears throat> so the point is, he had this ambition, this thing, a legitimate like calling, and yet he realized the the problem was he had privileged that above this relationship that he had committed to as a dad, as a husband. And it was like, well, wait, isn't that, Im- well, yeah, that's important, but it's actually, it should have been secondary to this primary uh relationship and um that then does become the way that that i have to prioritize because that's what i chose to do um after that it becomes really interesting because especially once you have young kids when we were married i was married for 10-ish years without kids and it was just like the best thing ever we did whatever we watched movies all the time it was oh i'd watch your rubbish movie that you made (laughs) fine um but now it's just like man i um, I asked uh, someone when we were doing uh, the the book of uh, some question of like if you're single what would you want any married person to know right like just for married people to know um, and the question or, and the answer usually I've got from people is I just wish they knew how painful the loneliness is mm. and then I I've, I've asked married people and my answer of like why would you what would you want single people to know and I wish single people would just know how freaking exhausted I am all the time. I mean, and I'm not even kidding. Like, I can bear, I, it's just like a constant state of exhaustion that I can't even, I couldn't describe to my pre-married self or my pre-father self, right? Are there it's any crazy. amens for that yeah, from the married oh, yeah, people? Yeah, oh, yeah. man. Um, and, and because, so that's where, like, you get back to the Colton me of, like, I wasn't trying to tell him my marriage sucked. I actually love my marriage, but... It is so much harder than you can describe. And I think that's what married people are trying to articulate when they come to a single friend or whatever to say, 
oh, you better know what you're, you know, buying into here. Um, it's not just, oh, that person's bad or whatever. It's, this is a whole reprioritization of your entire being. It's not just who do you hang out with on the weekends. Um, and so that's my really long-winded answer to, um, yeah, my priorities have changed. How I prioritize changes, but it doesn't eliminate my need for finding ways to have friends. Mm. Um, and I, I can't be an expert in that because I haven't figured it out, I don't think. Got it. Uh, can I get a show of hand again? Who, who's married? Who got more friends once they were married? Raise your hand. Oh. Most of you, well, most of you know. I feel like the trend I see in marriage is your friend group just drops through the floor. And I don't know if that's because of how we live. This is probably the last question. I know we got to wrap it up. Uh, so there's final thoughts on this. Um, I don't know why that happens, and I have experienced it even being engaged. Um, what do you think it is about the nature of how we label friendships and how we connect with our peers that is revealed once you get into a marriage? Is it that, well, you weren't actually friends? Or is it that you just, friends are seasonal? Or what would you guys think about that? You would, you'd say you experience having fewer friends now? Well, yeah, I'm not That's really. That's incorrect. <laughs> yeah, for Colton, that is incorrect. He he had way fewer friends before he started dating you. Yeah, yeah. I know that because I was very busy being his friend. <laughs> Full time friend. I don't get called nearly as much anymore. He's got way more friends. Well, wait. Your question though is it? Are you saying like, okay, so you're gonna marry Danielle? So now you inherit all of her friends that she had made? Or are you saying? Do you over time make fewer friends, or your I'm friend pool diminishes? I, because I'm what I'm always trying to chip away at, and the only reason I agreed to do a, a podcast on relationships when when David kindly suggested it was I didn't want to be another person talking about like here's how to get married. I wanted to revert relationships back to the the highest level of relationships, which I see as friendship. Uh, one of my favorite books is The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis, and he's like, this used to be the pinnacle of relationships. People didn't write epic novels about romance. They were writing them about friends, about journeys, about tales of people journeying towards some epic destination to do something together. And I feel like we've moved away from that. And I feel like the only thing that even got me into a romantic relationship was friendship. Every reason that we're here tonight, besides you guys being willing to skip a Dodgers game, was because I'm friends and friends and friends with people who do cool shit and who see value in me and I see value in them. That's it. Um, it's not because I'm engaged to a wonderful woman. And so I was, I'm just trying to work it out in my own mind why that shifts when people get married because I've been on the other end of it where I was like, man, I thought we were so close and then this marriage happens and I get that, that sex and intimacy and kids can kind of change your life and make you really tired and all that, but what is the value system? What is the... <laughs> so tired from sex and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, let me be clear. I'm tired from sex. Yeah, That's right, right. what I'm tired from. Yeah. Colton is not. Those little girls that yeah. <laughs> didn't get their backs in. Uh, so I'm. Exhausted. God, I circle back. So I'm just wondering what it is about our priority system that makes it so easy to seek companions and friendships in a certain season of life and then so easy to shake them away in another season of life. It's not like you get married and then you're like, wow, I just tripled my friend group. I'm horribly introverted, so it was really easy to go from like two to five. Like, of course, I increased my friend group. You know what I mean? Um, so that's kind of what I'm. Is it maybe that we put too much pressure on that one relationship to be like, this is the one? 
this is the one relationship I've been needing and wanting, and this, I've been looking for this thing. And uh, this, this is gonna, this is gonna, somehow this one relationship is gonna fill all the needs that all these other little relationships have been filling. And that's just like total bullshit, maybe. I don't know, I'm single. I'm not fishing for a writing, I just am. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Do you wanna go? No, I, I mean, no, I think it's both right. I mean, I think part of it is um, we've foisted upon this relationship expectations it can't bear. Um, and one of those is it's gonna fulfill everything. Uh, and it just doesn't. It was never designed to. I don't think there's, you know, biblical precedent for it. I don't think there's historical precedent for it. Um, but sort of modern relationship says that's that is it, right? If you accomplish that, the book has a lovely uh, analysis of Disney princess movies, um, and I mean that's that's like the epitome, right? Um, or now the Bachelor and Bachelorette. I mean these are. Did you know, by the way, that the Bachelor franchise is continues to grow in viewership? Yes. It, it's the longest running reality TV show, and every year more people watch that stuff. Yeah, there's like fantasy and drafts. Yeah, and like stuff. it's crazy. So yeah. there's something that captivates us about this idea that there is the one that is will ultimately fulfill us. Um, and the lie is that there is, well, okay, so as a Christian, as a theologian, <laughs> Uh, the the lie uh, is is that there is anything that ultimately is fulfilling. Um, it's all these are all desires and drives that actually end up in a, another place that nothing, no human relationship is going to ultimately fulfill. However, human relationships are incredibly valuable. Um, we need a community of people, and and I think part of it is we ask that relationship to do more than it can. Um, and then also there's this strange kind of, um, I, I mean, I'd say in the process of being married and getting married, you, you kind of, um, you play by a certain number of scripts, right? Um, and those scripts, at least in church communities, um, are pretty clearly dug into trenches and you start, uh, associating with certain people, you start talking only with certain people and, and over time, you basically uh, eliminate from any possibility sort of the expansion of your relationship. And I think what you, I think you had said, or you guys had said when I'd asked some question of you like this at one point, um, I think what we don't imagine is getting married, instead of it being this bachelorette vision of me and the one, it's how does my marriage actually open, my, like crack open my life to actually welcome more people into my, mm. my orbit? Um, and what if we thought about families? What if we thought about getting married, having kids, all of this as actually an opening up of my arms instead of like a closing in on a nuclear unit? Yeah. It's a how does this actually expand who I am? Um, and that's something I think we don't do much or even talk in those terms, really. So I love that. I think I'm in a bit of a deconstruction and then reconstruction phase, so maybe the beginning of my reconstruction of when it comes to friendship, um, because I think that when I started dating Colton, and the more we dated, uh, the more I trusted him to be a mirror back to me of myself um, in even the ugliest ways, which produced two things. One is that I realized why I had certain people in my life and had to have some courage to let them go or just let the distance be. And two was... Um, the more that that mirror got shined back on me, I started just trusting fewer and fewer people with that information, and so I had to rethink friendship. But I think the beauty of it is, now that I'm in a bit of a reconstruction with how I would like to do friendship, I have a much better eye for, like we were talking about earlier, for health. And so I'm hoping that there's an expansion later, but in also a very necessary season of pruning. I like it. That's it. 
That's the last question. Guys, thank you so much for coming thank out. You. Thank you, Magadoff. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, David Magadoff. Thank you to our guests, Danielle Bennett. One more time for Danielle. Woo! Thank you, Cutter Calloway. Thank you so much, Dr. Cutter Calloway.